Now this morning we're, we're coming to the, the last two uh, of the sons of Jacob and the tribes of Jacob, of Israel, represented by two precious stones on the high priest's breastplate. For those of you who don't know, this has been an examination of the high priest's garments uh, where we have been seeing Christ and seeing ourselves actually in these stones. And uh, we have been doing this for a number of weeks. In fact, this is part 11 this morning. And uh, so we want to continue, and this will be the final two stones and tribes and sons that we'll look at in this study. And then there's just, I believe, just one more part. Uh, God willing, next Sunday morning, hopefully we'll be able to finish this off. And uh, let me just say also that in this study we've been doing, uh, that it's really been twofold. Uh, we have been looking at basically, if I could narrow it all down to uh, these sons, their birth and then their blessing. Their birth and then the blessing of Jacob upon them. Although sometimes we say that's a blessing. We say that loosely because sometimes it was a rebuke, actually it was. And uh, sometimes he commanded, sometimes he condemned. And uh, so we've been looking at those two aspects. And in doing this, we, we also have been looking at the idea of... Uh, uh, being, being able to see into these things, Christ, and see ourselves, hopefully. And, uh, and so we've been talking about that. And, and as we have gone through, particularly as we've talked about the sons and the tribes, we have been talking about it in two ways. First of all, we've been talking about it, I suppose, regarding historical way and then devotional way. And when I say historical, I mean that we've been giving the background to them. So we've been giving a context. It's always good to give a context to what you're talking about. And so as we have looked at the tribes and the sons, uh, we have looked at the context of where they were born and birth. By the way, brother, excuse me. By the way, there's a little crash in there. I know you're just visiting and you didn't know it, but there's a little crash in there. And if you want to go in there, you can watch on the screen as well. So just feel comfortable by doing that, all right? Good. Now, We've been looking at the context of the thing. We've been looking at the background of the sons and the tribes so that we're not speaking in a vacuum here. You know what's coming out of that. And then we've been looking at devotionally. So it's not just history we're looking at. It's not just somewhere back all those thousands of years, but we're looking at it devotionally. What does it send to us today? What does it mean to us right now? Is it saying something to us that will help us in our Christian lives? So that's the thrust of what we have been doing over these past number of weeks. So let's now look at Asher. And Asher uh, was represented by the onyx stone on the high priest's garment, on the breastplate. So let's look at his birth. In Genesis chapter 30, verses 12 to 13. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. Says the daughters, that just means the, the other woman in the town. The daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. And Asher means happy or blessed. Happy or blessed. If some of you regular ladies, if you'd like, go under her sister and just help her to sort out in there. If somebody would like to just nip in. Some of you's mothers, could you do that? Okay, thanks, Beth. Just go in and just... Because when you're just visiting for the first time and you don't know the layout, and you don't know what's in there, it's good for somebody to go in and just help you a little bit. 
So let me just read that again. Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. And Asher simply means blessed or happy. Now when Leah adopted uh, this little boy as her own, she was saying in effect, now I am happy and blessed. And I want to pass that on to my son. So she called him happy and blessed. Now in those days, names really meant something. And very often a mother would name her child a name that hopefully that child would aspire to. And so she was hoping this child would aspire to be someone who would be happy and blessed. She says, I'm happy and blessed, and I want to pass that on to my son so that he too will be happy and blessed. So she called his name Asher, meaning happy or blessed. Now those who are happy and blessed have a tendency to bring blessing and happiness wherever they go, do they not? They want to share their blessedness. God said to Abraham in Genesis 12 too, I will bless you and you shall be a blessing. I will bless you and you shall be a blessing. Are you blessed today? If you're blessed today, make sure that whatever area you're blessed in, that you are going to be a blessing in that area to somebody else. If God has blessed you some way in your family, in your home, in your job or whatever, if God has given you a beautiful home, if He's given you a lovely car, use it for God's glory. He's given it to bless you with, to be a blessing. So how are you being a blessing with what God has blessed you with? That's what I'm saying today. Abraham, I'm making you a blessing so that you can be a blessing. That's what God was saying. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 10 verse 8. Freely... You have received, freely give. What could be plainer than that? Freely you have received. What have you freely received? What have you got a lot of? Freely give it. Give it away. That's what God is saying. And so, blessed and happy. Asher means blessed and happy. And if you're blessed and happy, listen, if you're in Christ, you are already blessed and happy. And you ought to be. So give some of that away to those around you. And then in Genesis 49, verse 20, this is where, of course, where Jacob, as you know, has become old and his eyes are dim and he's gathered his sons around him and he's giving them what is called a patriarchal blessing. When he comes to Asher in verse 20 of Genesis 49, he said, Bread from Asher shall be rich and he shall yield royal dainties. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Now, depending which version you're reading, if anybody's got the AV, the authorized version, the old King James, the word rich there is fat. It is fat. Bread from Asher shall be fat. And when the Bible uses fat when speaking of food or speaking of many other things, very often what it's really saying is that the fat is the best part. It's the tastiest part. It is the good part. It's the choice part. And that's not very PC in these days of diets and all the rest of it. Sure it's not. But it's symbolic of the best part, the good part, the choice part. In Genesis 4 and 4, you remember how Cain and Abel were to bring an offering to the Lord. And it says about 
uh, about Abel, it says in Genesis 4.4 that he brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. So in other words, he brought the best of his flock, the fattest, the well-fed ones, the one that looked in the prime of health and life. That's the one that he brought before the Lord and of their fat. And then, of course, in Genesis 45, you remember how Joseph was there and he had risen to be vice-regent of Egypt and how his brothers had come to visit and had gone back home again looking for corn. And Pharaoh heard about this, and it says in verse 17, 18 of Genesis 45, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. So it's very clear, Asher's bread shall be rich or fat. It would be good, it would be choice, it would be the best, the tastiest. That's what it's saying. What a blessing would be upon Asher. What a delight it must have been for Asher to hear that because he heard some of the other brothers getting rebuked and here he's getting tremendously blessed. Asher's bread would be fat. Listen, this book you have in your hand today, the Bible, the Scriptures, the Word of God, this is blessed. This is fat. This is full of the finest of the wheat. This is spiritual nourishment. This is manna from heaven. This is the bread of life for us as believers. Can you say amen to that? So you've got to feed on this. This is what you've got to feast upon, the Word of God. If you want to grow spiritually strong and healthy and vibrant, you have to feast on the Word of God. Now, if you ask Kathy over there, if you ask Kathy what is the proper food to eat to make you healthy in body and make you strong and fit, she could give you a list of healthy foods. And fat probably wouldn't be one of them. But she'd give you a list of healthy foods to eat and she'd say, this is the fuel you need to put in your body if you want that strength and energy and drive and all the rest of it. And that's good. Thank God for that. We need good food. We need to eat good food. We need to eat less junk food. And I'll say amen to myself for that. And uh, we should eat more fruit and veggies and all the rest of it. But sometimes a Big, big Mac just tastes even better. But there you go. <laughs> but nevertheless, if you didn't eat for a week, you'd be pretty hungry, wouldn't you? If you didn't put the fuel in, you wouldn't have much energy. It kind of... And yet, many of us would go a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month or more and never pick up the food that feeds our spirit, that gives us strength and vitality in our spiritual lives. And this is why we must feed upon the Word of God. Now, I was thinking about this just last night and I was thinking that, you know, that for anybody that has, has gone on fasts, you will know that the first two or three days are the worst. Uh, you're just ravenous. And everywhere you go, you smell food like you've never smelled it before. And you walk past the chippy and you can, it's, it's almost dragging you in by the throat. You're just so hungry. And then you go awake and you feel a little bit less hungry. 
And if you go two weeks, you'll feel even less hungry. Let me tell you, if you go longer than that, there comes a point where you don't feel hungry at all. You completely lose your appetite. And I know I'm speaking from experience, and some of you have proved this too. You totally lose your appetite. You don't even want to eat. And in fact, if you continued on and didn't break that fast, you would get to the stage where you'd have no desire to eat whatsoever, and you'd end up dying. You'd kill yourself and still not want to eat because your appetite's gone. Of course, when you break the fast, like Jesus did after 40 days, and afterwards he hungered, it says, when you decide to break that fast, then the appetite comes back with a vengeance. And then you've got to watch because you'd eat everything in sight. But what I'm saying is that, you know, you just skip reading the Word of God. Just let it go for a few days and, and you'll miss it. Let it go for a week and you'll miss it. Let it go for a couple of weeks and you don't miss it as much. Let it go for a month and you hardly miss it at all. Let it go for six months and you don't even know it exists. You just lose your appetite for it. And then you become spiritually anemic and weak. And then the devil comes and hits you with a big right hook. And you go down like a sack of potatoes because there's no strength there to resist or to fight back. So, bread from Asher shall be fat, rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. He shall yield royal dainties. It never ceases to amaze me that how the prophetic word in the scriptures, just the way that it comes to pass, Sometimes it takes generations, sometimes it takes hundreds, sometimes thousands of years. But if it's the true, genuine, prophetic word of God, it will come to pass. Now remember that Jacob's speaking to his sons while they're in Egypt and he's dying. And at this point, they don't have a king. They're not even thinking about a king at this point. They haven't even got tribes at this point when he's speaking to them. They're just sons. They haven't even grown into tribes yet. But he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking prophetically to his sons. And he says, and he shall yield royal dainties. Now, the area of land that, that Asher would inherit in the promised land proved to be a very fertile land. It was produced bountiful crops. And during Solomon's reign, which obviously was many, many years after this, during Solomon's reign, he laid down a law that each tribe of the 12 tribes in one month of each year, each tribe would have to provide for his royal table. So they would take it in turns. Now can you imagine when it came to Asher's turn? Can you imagine the bountiful, wonderful banquet that would be on Solomon's table's I'm sure he looked forward a lot to Asher's month because that was the most fertile, that had the greatest fruit, the most succulent uh, fruit, beautiful, delicious. Can you imagine the, the royal dainties that he had placed upon the king's table? Uh, it must have been a wonderful sight to see. Now, when you and I continually feast on the fatness of this bread of life and our lives become rich, with the blessings of the Word of God, then at that point, you and I will have royal dainties to give away, to bless somebody else with. 
Listen to this scripture, Proverbs 25 and 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. A word fitly spoken. Isaiah 54, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. Have you ever spoke a word in season to somebody? Have you ever met somebody who's been weary, tired of the battle and the fight and the struggles of life, and you put an arm around and you've just spoken something timely? You've given them a royal dainty. You've encouraged them by your words. You've lifted them up. It's wonderful, isn't it, to do that? It's wonderful when it happens to us, isn't it? And I'm sure all of us has happened to. Somebody's come along, said, either knew or didn't even know, and they just said the right thing at the right time to the right person, us. We just need it at that moment for somebody just to come along and encourage us and just say the right thing. You got a text, you got a letter, you got a call, you got a word in the ear, and it was just timely. Well, this is what... Isaiah said, The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. So these are royal dainties that every believer ought to be able to have and to give to others. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Are you ready to give an answer to the reason of the hope that is in you? Or will you become tongue-tied? If somebody in your workplace or in your university, in your college, they come to you and they single you out because you're different and they say, hey, listen, there's something about you. I have been watching you. I've noticed there's something about you. Tell me, what is that? You say, oh, that's just, that's the Lord in my life. Well, but, but what do you mean? Explain that to me because that's a foreign language to the unsaved, isn't it? So explain that to me. Well, it happened when I got saved. What's that? Get saved. I don't understand. Tell me, what, what does that mean? <laughs> See, this is the reason, to give the reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and with fear. Being able to talk to that person, even to point them to a scripture and explain in simple terms, but with the word of God, this is why I am the way I am. It wasn't always this way, but this is, this is what changed me. This is how this happened. And you give your testimony and you give the scriptures the appropriate ones. And it doesn't have to be a lot. You're not going to preach a whole sermon to them, but just a few here and there. Just enough to say, hey, listen, this is what's happened and this is how it's happened. This is what's changed in my life and God can do this for you too. That's a royal dainty that you can just give to them. So our words, timely, life-giving, wholesome, encouraging, edifying. The word edifying comes from edifice. And edifice is a building, isn't it? So to build up. The Bible talks about building up on our most holy faith. Is there, is there words building up or is there words tearing down? Is it edifying? Is it building up? Those are royal dainties that we're to give. Now it's interesting also, I believe, that the word that's rendered fat here in the uh, and this blessing is rendered fat, as I said in the King James, the authorized version. It's the feminine form of the word for oil. Shemen, oil. Over and over and over again, this word 
can be translated oil. Now what's interesting about that is this, that many, many years later when the sons of Israel, the sons of Jacob become the tribes of Israel, and before they entered into the promised land, Moses, not Jacob, but Moses now, before he goes up to Mount Nebo to die, he blesses them. He gathers the tribes around him and he speaks a prophetic blessing upon them. And part of the prophetic blessing that Moses spoke unto Asher was this simple word. He said that your foot would be dipped in oil. That your foot would be dipped in oil. Now, I have a whole sermon on that sentence alone, and you've heard me preach it in here. I think I preached it not so long ago, actually. So I'm not going to go into that right now. But to simply say this, the man or woman who is in Christ is blessed and is happy in Christ. They're Asher in that sense. Amen. So the man who's blessed and happy in Christ, their feet are dipped in oil. And the man or woman whose feet are dipped in oil, everywhere they go, they leave a mark. Everywhere they go, they leave an impression. Everywhere they go, they have an influence. They leave that behind. Okay. So, it is an amazing fact. And, and again, this is the prophetic coming true, even though it takes generations, that the territory that Asher was allotted became the greatest producer of olive oil in the country. In fact, to this day, most olive oil is produced in what was the land that anciently was Asher's. Just as Jacob and as Moses had actually promised long before they even got it. So the Word of God you can count on, you can depend on, it's true. And so Asher was not just spiritually was his feet dipped in oil, but literally his feet were dipped in oil because his land produced that beautiful olive oil. Now no military leader, no judge, no king ever came from the tribe of Asher. But the most famous Asherite was actually a woman. Anna the prophetess in Luke chapter 2 regarding the first advent of Christ. Remember whenever Mary and Joseph came into the temple to present the child unto the Lord just the way this couple has done this morning with their children? And how that Anna the prophetess, when she saw that, she instantly recognized this is Messiah. It says that for so many years, really four years I think it was, that she served the Lord day and night in the temple with prayers and fasting. And she was an Asherite. Do you know that she was the first woman to publicly announce the Messiah? First woman to publicly announce the Messiah. And she was from the tribe of Asher. And so there is Asher. Now the final stone in the breastplate is the jasper. And this speaks of Naphtali. Naphtali's name was inscribed upon the jasper stone. In Genesis 30, let's look at his birth. Genesis 37 and 8. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. 
With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Naphtali means my wrestling. My wrestling. Now for many, many years, Rachel had to struggle. Jacob, the man that she loved and desired to marry above all else, was tricked by her own father into marrying her older sister first. This was a ruse to get Jacob to work for 14 years. Now she did get, of course, to marry Jacob, but from that point on, she had to live with the fact that there was two women in Jacob's life, her and her older sister Leah. Now, to rub salt into the wound, Leah, as we have discovered in these studies, was very, very fertile. She gave Jacob lots of sons while Rachel remained barren. Now, you can imagine that caused much strife and tension within the household. Uh, bigamy, no matter how it comes about, is never a good idea. And uh, she was discovering this, of course, that it was very, very difficult. And so, in desperation, uh, she gives her maid to Jacob to have children. Uh, worked for Leah, and now she thought, well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And so I'll give Jacob my maid, Bilhah, and he can have children with her, and I'll adopt them, and I'll treat them as my own, which is exactly what happened. Now, this had become a tremendous time of wrestling in Rachel's life. And when it says that she wrestled with her sister, it's not speaking, of course, physically, naturally, but it is speaking emotionally and mentally, in her feelings, in her thoughts. Every single day she got out of bed. She had to wrestle with her emotions and with her feelings and with her thoughts. It was difficult. It was a wrestle in her spirit. She was being churned up on the inside. It was the most difficult period of life. She was wrestling every single day. And now, by giving her maid, Bilhah, to Jacob, and now he, she starts to produce sons. And the first one she had was called Dan, which means judge. And now this second one, Naphtali means my wrestlings. Then Jacob said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So, in other words, what you're saying, I have wrestled with my sister up to this point, but now I have prevailed. That's what she said. That's what she was feeling. All of us, no exceptions, wrestle with many things in this life. We wrestle with our minds, we wrestle with our emotions, we wrestle with our feelings, we wrestle with our thoughts, we wrestle with our desires, we wrestle with our needs, we wrestle spiritually, we wrestle with temptations in life, we wrestle with pride, we wrestle with desires, we wrestle with ambitions we have, we wrestle with attitudes. Life is a wrestle. And all of us wrestle one way or another, either in our personal lives or in our spiritual lives. We wrestle. We wrestle in the workplace. We wrestle with people. We wrestle. It's a wrestling match. But thank God we can't prevail. Do you know that even Jesus wrestled? 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was agonizing in prayer. And the Bible says he sweated as it were great drops of blood. None of us has ever agonized and wrestled in prayer to actually blood would be popping out of our forehead, but it did with Jesus. And that shows you the intensity of the struggle he was facing. I believe the very powers of darkness at that point was pressing him. But like Rachel, he prevailed. He prevailed. He prevailed, and he's wrestling. Jesus could say, I've wrestled, but I too have prevailed. Sometimes our opponents are very, very powerful, but we can wrestle, and thank God, we can too prevail. In Ephesians chapter 6, you'll know these scriptures very well. Verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand. And then he talks about the armor of God that we're to wear. Now as much as every day of our lives we wrestle and as much as we feel that sometimes we're wrestling with people and individuals, actually the wrestle's beyond that. And one of the greatest mistakes we make is we get into strife with an individual and we think that's where we're wrestling. It isn't. It isn't. It's a spiritual wrestle and we need to deal with it. We need to deal with it. And oftentimes we think we're wrestling against this and that and the other and sometimes what we're really wrestling against is the powers of darkness. Sometimes that's what we're really wrestling against. And we need to know who our foe is and our opponent is. And we also need to know above all that we can prevail in Christ. Amen. Amen. In Galatians 4.19, Paul talks about another type of wrestling. He says, My little children, writing to the Galatians, my little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Uh, they were in danger of going back to the old traditions and the old ways of the law. Uh, and Paul was concerned about that. And he says, I'm travailing again for you. I'm wrestling again in prayer for you. That you won't do that. That you'll stand strong in faith. And not go back into that old law and unbelief. So he's wrestling in prayer for people. Some people will have to wrestle in prayer for, will have to travail for, and will have to travail again for. There may be people you know right now. I know people right now, and they're struggling in their walk with God. They're struggling in their faith. They're struggling in their belief. You have to wrestle for them. You have to pray and intercede and ask God to break through in their lives. Oftentimes you've got to wrestle in prayer to do that. And then Jacob's blessing upon Naphtali in Genesis 49 verse 21. Naphtali is a deer let loose. Uh, some translations may say a hind or a doe or a heart. 
Same thing. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Naphtali is a deer let loose. A deer, a hind, a heart, a roe, a doe. Uh, they're very sure-footed animal. And uh, they're tremendous when they're on the mountains. You know, when it's perilous and it's dangerous, it'd be very difficult for, for us as humans to, to make it up that path. And what you can find is that the deer can scamper up there, extremely sure-footed, can go up those craggy rocks of the mountain. Its speed and its agility is it's well-known. It's legendary. In Psalm 18, Psalmist David wrote this psalm. He'd just been delivered from the hand of Saul, from King Saul, who hounded him in the desert places and in the hills. And he had to take refuge in caves and dens. And, and Saul wanted to kill him. But finally David was rescued and released from that. In Psalm 18, verse 33, he says, He makes my feet like hind's feet, and he sets me upon my high places. And you can imagine David uh, in those mountain areas and in those caves and dens and, and looking down in the valley and seeing Saul with his men coming after him. And you can imagine him looking at a deer skipping up that mountain and, and remembering in his mind how he saw hunters in the past chasing the deers and how the deer would escape to the high ground. And once it got to the high ground, the hunters couldn't follow it because it was so fast and agile going up the mountain, up the craggy rocks. And in a sense, that's what was happening to him. With the Lord's help, he says, He has made my feet like hind's feet, and he set me upon my hind places. Even though the devil was coming after him to destroy me, but he couldn't get me. God gave me the strength. He put strength into my feet. He, gave me, he made me sure-footed, and I didn't slip and fall and stumble. I was able to stand, and I was able to escape the plots and plans of the evil one. Amen. Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, if you'd prefer to pronounce it that way. 3.19. Back at 3.19. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk on my high hills. So the prophet identified with that. Bible has much to say about her feet. Too much for me to go into this morning. How we stand, how we walk, how we run are all spiritually speaking, vitally important in our Christian life. If we're ever going to prevail, we'll have to learn how to walk and how to stand and how to run. Paul, Paul speaks of running the race that is set before us. Writer to the Hebrews talks about laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and running with endurance, with patience, with perseverance, the race that is set before us. And we saw there in Ephesians 6, Paul talked about standing and withstanding and having done all to stand. And stand, therefore, a lot of standing has to be done in the Christian life. Lots of things you've got to take your stand on. Sometimes you've got to say, the devil, devil, the line is here and you cannot cross this line. I'm standing toe-to-toe -to -toe if necessary. This is as far as you get. 
whenever David stood facing Goliath in the valley of Ephesdamon, Ephesdamon means the blood boundary, the bloodline, and Goliath didn't cross it. He couldn't cross it. David smote him and cut the head off him. Amen. And so sometimes you have to stand and you have to walk and you have to run. And Jacob said, Naphtali was a deer let loose. But then he says he uses beautiful words. We're almost finished. He uses beautiful words. Romans 3.15 speaks of feet that are swift to shed blood. Compare that to Romans 10.15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. <laughs> who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel is the good news. I know it has become a cliched term, the good news, but it actually is the good news. And the thing that I see over and over again uh, is that those who particularly go to nations where Christ is never mentioned, where his name is barely even known, that when somebody stands and presents the simple gospel story. It is the best news that those people have ever heard in their lives. Oftentimes their religion is religion of the demonic. They live in fear continually from witch doctors and from demonic spirits and all kinds of animism and all the rest of it. Uh, sometimes their religion is oppressive. Uh, it's, it's, it's dark I want to hear the good news that God loved them so much, incredibly so much, that he was even prepared to, to sacrifice his own son for them so that they might have life, that they may have the life of God in them. That is great news. That's good news. We've heard that so often that it's just like water of a duck's back. But if you were living under the conditions that some people live under, the good news would be good news. It says he uses beautiful words. You remember whenever we did the study into the, the life of the 12 disciples? It's on that table over there somewhere. Remember how I told you that apart from Judas, who came from Judea, that the rest all came from the area of Galilee, the surrounding area of Galilee. They were known as the Galileans. Well, isn't it interesting that, that Asher, that his territory was that very territory, the very place where Jesus chose his 12 disciples. And isn't it true, whenever he had finished with them for three and a half years, and whenever they were filled with the Holy Spirit, isn't it true that they went out everywhere, whenever his 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 deers were let loose. They went everywhere speaking beautiful words. Beautiful words. Sharing the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus. Peter said to the man at the beautiful gate, silver and gold have I none, 
but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Those are beautiful words, aren't they? <laughs> Those are beautiful, beautiful words. And John, <laughs> he spoke beautiful words also. I mean, when you just read through the scriptures, you just find such beautiful words. Listen to what John said about Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Beautiful words. Goodly words, as the A.V. puts it. Beautiful, goodly words. And everywhere the disciples went, filled with the Holy Spirit, they preached the good news of Jesus Christ, and they gave those beautiful words everywhere they went. Let us, as Christians, be like Naphtali. Let us be like deers let loose, bringing the beautiful words of the gospel of Christ to a lost and a dying world. Amen. Amen. So there are the 12 sons, the 12 stones. Now, we never really get into depth about Levi and about Joseph, but I'm just dealing with the stone, so we'll leave that. There's only one more area that we've got to finish just to top this, and that is to talk about the mitre that the high priest wore with that golden band upon it, and it's beautiful. And it has got more beautiful things to tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Lord, we just stop and we pause for a moment, and we reflect and all of these things that we've been looking at. Lord, what a joy it is. Lord, to see you in the Old Testament. To see the one that the prophets spoke about. To see you in symbols and in types. And to step out of those pages. And to see you in our lives today. So, Lord, help us to reflect upon these meditations and to think about them and be encouraged and strengthened through them. And, Lord, help us to go out and use our lips to bring those royal dainties wherever we go and to bring a word in season to someone's life. Lord, maybe this incoming week we'll cross a path We'll meet somebody who's weary and tired of the struggles of life and we'll be able to bring them something that will bless them and encourage them and give them strength for the journey. And so we honor you today. We give you thanks for who you are. We bless you for your eternal inspired word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.